Aren't those great words? A mighty fortress is our God. Well, I'm excited to begin this journey together over the next uh, four Sundays together, and then as we come together Christmas Eve, and to see how God might work in each of our hearts and lives as we open ourselves to him and, and, and ask him, Lord, work in this season. Draw us closer to you in this season. Uh, as I said, each week in the devotional reading, we'll be looking at the Sunday scripture and kind of unpacking it and thinking about how it might speak into our own hearts and lives. And so we begin this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, starting at verse 36. The whole section goes to 51. We're just going to read through 44. And I'd invite you, if you're able, to stand for uh, the reading of the Gospel. These are Jesus' words in Matthew 24, starting at verse 36. Jesus says, About that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing what was going to happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding in the handmill, one will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect. This is the word of God given for the people of God. We respond together by saying, thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, Mr. Smith was, um, was riding in Manhattan. He was in a taxi, and the taxi driver was driving a little reckless, but he was trying to just kind of keep it, you know, under control until they got to the first light, and the taxi driver went right through the first light. And Mr. Smith said, whoa, whoa, that light was red. Didn't you see that? He goes, oh, yeah, no problem, buddy. My brother is a taxi driver. He's been doing it for years. He always runs the red lights, no problem. Well, that didn't really help Mr. Smith very much, and he's a little anxious as they go along. They got to light number two, went right through light number two. He said, man, this is dangerous. You shouldn't be doing this. Cabby says, no problem, buddy. My brother, he's been doing this for years. He always goes through the red lights. So they get to light number three. But this time, the driver slows down. The light is green, and he stops at the green light. And he says, now, I don't understand it. The light is green. Why are you stopping? He says, yeah, I don't know when my brother's coming. Some of you are getting it. Some of you are getting it. Some of you will get it. All of you will think it's dumb. But at least the taxi driver was prepared. He didn't know when his brother was going to be coming through the light. Now, I, I tend, in, in the world in which we live today, Chris, you just got it. Wow. Okay, all right, man. All right, good for you. <laughs> Somebody sit next to him, help him for the rest of the time. You know, the world we live today, you know, when I was a kid, my kids don't get this, that you have to wait every week for a TV show. You know, now you just download things and you can watch like seasons of things. Well, I've been recording at home after, well, I've been recording it whenever, but after my wife goes to bed, I, my current show that I'm kind of binge watching, and by binge watching, I mean like one show a night, 
for a half an hour or two shows is the Beverly Hillbillies. Now, now most of you will recognize the Beverly Hillbillies. Some of you are younger, won't. This is the story of Jed Clampett, who is shooting at some, some animal in Tennessee and hits an oil field and becomes, you know, gets $40 million uh, off of that, and they move to Beverly Hills. One of the things I discovered in, uh, I don't even know why I'm telling you this story. I kind of do, but um, the, one of the things I discovered when you're watching it show by show, you kind of get the whole scope of things, right? It's like when you read all of Scripture, you get, not that the Beverly Hillbillies is Scripture, okay? But you get the scope of things. Did you know that the Clampets, I didn't know this till I was watching it, that the Clampets actually bought a castle in England. Now, they don't talk about it much. It was in like season two. And then it shows up again like in season four or five. They visit again. So in the 10 seasons this show is on, they went to visit their castle twice. But the staff for season two was the same staff that's there in season four or season five. They're, they're just there waiting for the Clampets to show up. And I thought that was kind of crazy until I was reading some stories out of Britain. And a lot of times those stories are a little crazy. And, and in fact, three of them that I want to share with you today, I ran into one that reminded me of the Clampets. It's about a British squire named George Edward Daring. Daring lived this mysterious kind of double life. He had a mansion near a place called Welwyn, England, and no one ever saw him. Except Christmas Eve, he always showed up Christmas Eve. He would read the mail that had accumulated, and then he would leave Christmas Day. He was gone. Sometimes he would pop in once or twice a year on other occasions, but that was rare. Nevertheless, he maintained a full staff of seven servants on staff full-time. They also were instructed to leave a mutton chop to have it handy at all times because if he came, that's what he wanted for dinner. They never knew when their master would visit. The second of three British stories is this one, Queen Victoria. At the death of her husband, Albert was dealing with depression, and one of her aides hired a soldier, John Brown, to bring the, the queen's favorite pony, to the Balmoral Castle, hoping that by her writing it would take her mind off of the grief of the death of her husband. Each day, John Brown would stand outside the queen's window with the horse, and he would stand all day waiting. One day, the queen sent him a note that says, I might never ride again. Your standing there is a waste of time. John Brown sends back a reply and says, Your Majesty, when you're ready to ride, I will be here. The first Sunday of Advent is our opportunity to make ourselves ready, watching and waiting for the coming of our King. Jesus says to the disciples, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day when your Lord will come. Be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect him. Like John Brown waiting for Queen Victoria to resume her duties, we're called to be a people who stand ready to serve Christ as his kingdom is fulfilled. But what we often think about when we think of that passage or we think of that concept, we, what we think of is the someday, that someday God's kingdom will rule everything. Someday everything will be set right. And, and we must not forget that there is a someday. There is a day coming when God's kingdom will reign. But we also need to be reminded that God's kingdom has come. God's kingdom has come. It has been initiated through the gift of of. Jesus and, and through the gift of the cross. And, and while the kingdom is not yet fulfilled, the kingdom has come. The kingdom is being seen in all kinds of places. If we're watching for it, it's seen in the lives of people who choose to live their lives in the joy 
of Christ. The kingdom comes if our eyes are open when we see people that reflect Christ in their actions and the priorities of their life. The kingdom is breaking all around us. Are we watching for it? Are we ready? Are, are we standing waiting? You see, if we're, if, we're, if we're not waiting, in fact, if you read on in that passage, there's a whole bunch of things to be said that aren't very good about people who aren't waiting. I don't know if you ever read the comic strip DC. I don't know if anybody takes the newspaper anymore. But uh, I always uh, have loved the comic strip BC because the author, he's passed away now, but um, he often would, uh, especially at holidays, he'd kind of have these little messages sent to Christians that it really made more sense if you were a follower of Jesus. And he had this cartoon with two ants. It has the son ant and the father ant. And the son ant says to his dad, he says, Dad, who is Jesus? And the dad ant replies, he's the reason for the season. And then the son ant says, but dad, I thought Santa Claus was the reason for the season. And the father ant replies, well, he is. If you prefer Nintendo over everlasting life, you choose. And I think in some ways that's, that's the problem in a nutshell. We get sometimes so focused on the things of this world, the promise of a better world seems too remote, seems too far away. So we put our hope in short-term gain in immediate satisfaction, in the kind of things that will just get us through the moment. And part of what Jesus is saying in this passage, part of what he's saying is that you're in this for the long game. You need to be a people who recognize that this, 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 is, a, this is a calling that, that is beyond just this moment, but I think can also include this moment. Third British story, 1845, British explorers led by John Franklin set out to put an expedition together to go to the North Pole. The men estimated it would take two years or more for their trip. Yet they didn't really prepare for that time frame. They packed only a bare, small amount of quantity of the things you think you would need, like coal, and instead the boat was filled with things like books and fine china and silver utensils. Would you be surprised to learn that the men never returned? Instead, years later, their ship was discovered surrounded by frozen bodies of the explorers and fine china and silver utensils. They were unprepared for the journey. Oh, they had prepared for the journey. They had just prepared in the wrong way. They were unprepared for what awaited them. They surrounded themselves with flashy things, not the things that would save their life. And I suspect that sometimes those are some of the traps that we fall into as well. And so I want to suggest today, what, what, is, what is Jesus saying in this passage? What, what would it mean for us to prepare for the coming of Christ and the coming of Christmas? Because those two things are not ex- mutually exclusive. For as we prepare for the coming of Christmas, we also prepare for the coming of Christ. What, what practically does it mean when Jesus says, stand watch? How, how do we live that out, that passage, that instruction of Jesus in the world in which we live today. I, I think there's probably a whole bunch of things, but, but let me just give you three this morning. First of all, I think part of standing watch, part of being prepared, is focusing on our relationships. Relationships are what life is all about. First in right relationship with God, and then in relationship with each other. Now, at this time of year, you're thinking about gifts to buy those that are significant in your life, which is good. Because gifts bring joy to both the giver and the receiver, and it's a wonderful part of Christmas. But the Advent Christmas season, I I think, gives us an opportunity to do more than than give gifts. It's an opportunity 
to reflect. It's an opportunity to restore relationships that have been broken or to strengthen relationships that that need some attention or or to work on weakened relationships that are vital to our emotional and spiritual well-being. I'm talking relationships that go like this and relationships like this. There's, There's something about this season that can draw us to a place that says, Lord, I need to tend these relationships. I told you we drove 500 miles uh, yesterday and, and um, got home and uh, our dog was really excited to see me. Now, I don't necessarily care for our dog all that much, but I was really pleased that he was excited to see me uh, when I come home. I don't know if you, you, that happens to you, um, but I, uh, it reminded me of a story I read a month or so ago about a family who went away for a vacation and, and they sent their dog to the pet hotel And when they got back, they picked up their dog, and they got home, and the dog's excited to see them, and they're petting the dog, and as they're petting the dog, the fur is coming off the dog. And they're they're a little uh, concerned about that. So they call the vet, and uh, and we had uh, Chuck, the vet, was here in the first service, and he confirmed that this is true. Apparently, dogs under stress sometimes can lose their hair. The prescription of, I see a lot of stressed people out here today, but... uh, No, 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 no. The prescription that he gave was this. Spend two hours loving your dog. Sure enough, they did that. The hair stopped falling out. That was amazing. I thought, I wish wish it was that easy to respond in our relationship. We are made for relationship. Advent and Christmas is a reminder that we need to invest. We need to tend them. We can get so busy doing other things. We need to make sure the relationship here and the relationship here are where they should be. And we don't function when either of those are neglected. Our greatest relationship, we're reminded in this season, is the God who loves us so greatly. We're built for relationship. Dr. Mickey Anders tells of a twin girls that were born premature in a medical center in Massachusetts. And uh, they weighed in at about two pounds each. They placed them in separate bassinets. One was doing just fine. The other was not thriving. Her heart was rapid. She was anxious. She wouldn't take uh, any, any food. And, and they were concerned that this little girl wasn't going to make it. One of the nurses remembered something she'd read about a treatment of premature infants um, elsewhere in the world. And and uh, Val Gavin, who works in the OB unit, uh, she confirmed as well. There, you should come to the first service. My stories get confirmed. The, um, and she said, this, this does happen. The last resort, the nurse, the nurse picked up little Brielle, the weaker twin, and placed her in the same bassinet as Kyrie, the stronger one. She was three ounces heavier. She's the strong one. And in the words of the nurse, what happened was immediate and dramatic. Little Brielle's heart began to regulate itself, and her color returned, and she was willing to take nourishment. There was something about being in relationship with her sister. You see, we are, we are built, we function better together in relationship. Friends, what our folks, what our kids need at Christmas is not a bunch of things. What they need is people who will spend time with them and affirm them and journey with them. What our spouses 
need at Christmas is not the newest electronic gadget. Although, Jimmy, that'd be nice. Um, but what they need is us. What they need is us to take the time to come alongside and tend our relationships and to share the journey together. When God wanted to redeem the world, he did it through a baby, his son. It's all about relationships. Prepare for Christ's coming. Prepare for him breaking in. One of the ways that we can follow Jesus' instruction here is to focus on our relationships. The second one is to focus on our responsibilities. And I'm specifically thinking about our responsibilities in Christ. Christ really is the forgotten one in his own birthday celebration. This is the best time of year to consider how we, how we are assessing our lives and, and how much we are devoted to God's kingdom as opposed to our own little kingdoms. Where are we investing our time? We're coming to the end of the year. We're sending into a new year. Where are we investing who we are? Helen was a part of a German family that lived in Russia. And during Stalin's reign, German citizens were targets of persecution and attack. Fortunately, Helen and some other young girls escaped Russia. They traveled over the rough terrain and made it safely to Germany with no resources and only the clothes on their back. When she reached Germany, she received word that her parents had died in a labor camp in Siberia. Once there, she found work as a maid. Her employer was a cruel woman who threatened to kill her if she ever left. Eventually, she was able to escape. She immigrated to Canada, where she had a cousin. Her cousin let her come and work as a maid, and it was a great thing, she thought, because she's penniless, she doesn't speak any English, and it seemed to be the perfect situation, except her cousin was an evil man who raped her repeatedly. He knew she had no place to go and no money to get there. When Helen became pregnant with her cousin's child, he threw her out and forced her to leave town. She moved to another town and fast forward a bit in her story, but she eventually, in part of a redemptive story, she, she married a great guy, she raised a family. She was always a woman of modest means, but a woman who was wealthy in faith and in love. Fast forward a little more in her story. Helen's church was debating whether to hire a youth pastor or not. And, and like every church, they operated on a tight budget, and they're wondering how they're going to afford to do that. And, and Helen just began thinking about what was taking place in this meeting. Ever since she had been a child, she had wanted to learn to play the piano. And she couldn't, with the, the life in Russia, she couldn't do it. Her life in Germany, she couldn't do it. After she was married in Canada, they bought a, a piano, but she was raising kids, and she was working, and she was doing all these things. And finally, the kids were gone, and she had adjusted their budget, $60 a month for piano lessons. But as she sat there in that meeting, and she was listening, and the thought just came on her to think, what could be more important than telling young people about Jesus? And so as they're debating about what they're going to do, she stands up in the meeting and she says, uh, I, I've been setting some money aside and, and I, I am going to budget the $60 I was going to spend on piano and I'm going to give it to the youth fund. And, the, and the, the church board was so moved by her act of faith, they stepped out in an act of faith and hired the youth pastor. And, and there was there's more to the story, but it's a story that you never would have heard if I didn't mention it. It's not significant in this world, but it's probably significant in eternity. And I think there's story after story after story of Helen's that are out there. See, I think Helen was not only ready for Christmas, Helen was ready for Christ's coming. 
She was standing watch. She was there. She was waiting for God to break in. She wasn't sloughing off somewhere. She's listening to the Spirit. And when the Spirit spoke, she was there. And she got to see Christ's kingdom come in the world in that little place and in that little church. Don't get so caught up in the superficial and the busyness of Christmas that you miss the essential business of Christ. God sent his son into the world to save it. We are called to be the people that are his hands and feet that pick up this work of Christ and live it out in our daily lives. Make this season a season of true preparation. Focus on your relationships. Focus on your responsibilities. And finally, if you're going to stand watch, if you're going to prepare yourself, focus on your Redeemer. There's a church that was in a small Swiss town renowned for its beautiful pipe organ. The music was always so moving and so beautiful and so rich. People that were a part of that church uh, always felt like they could just sense the presence of God in the music that was played there. Worshippers would leave on Sunday. They would go out into the small village they were a part of, their lives trying to do their best to reflect God in, the, in their lives. And, 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 and they'd come back every week and just, they were so blessed. They loved this beautiful music that came from the church. But over time, the organ pipes began to lose their rich sound. The music became thin and mediocre. The church's pastor brought in repairmen from all over trying to figure out how to fix it. And eventually, the organ really wasn't worth playing anymore. It sounded so poor. None of them knew how to restore it. One night in the village, a a, a shabby-looking stranger enters the town. He He's looking for a place to stay. It's a cold night. He comes and knocks on the church door, and the caretaker answers, and, and the man says, could I stay the night here? And, and the caretaker is not really excited about that, but it happened to be that the caretaker's daughter came to the door as well and said, Dad, let him, let him stay. She just thought there would, it would be okay. So they went to bed, and it was early the next morning. The caretaker is awakened as he hears the sanctuary filled with music, and the music was not the thin and tinny ordinary that he'd been used to. It was the rich, resonant, soaring tones that once had filled the hearts of the worshipers of that village. And he ran into the sanctuary, and apparently other villagers had heard it as well, because the doors were opening up, and people were coming in the morning, and they were coming in and sitting. They just couldn't believe it. It had been so long since they'd heard anything like that. And they sat down, and they were listening to the shabby stranger who was playing at the organ. When the music stopped, the caretaker ran up and said, Who are you? He says, Well, my name is Gott, G-O-T-T. No, he says, I mean, who are you? How do you know to do this? How could you restore this? How can you make it play this way? And the stranger smiled, and he he wiped the dust off of the mantle of the organ, and underneath in, uh, in gilt letters was the name Gott. He said, Many years ago, I built this, fa- this organ with my own hands and I have heard of your need and I have come to make it sing again you are the work of his hands he has heard of your need and he wants to do something amazing in you are you watching for his work Are you listening to Jesus' words and paying attention? Are you open to his shaping? For the kingdom of God wants to break through in you. Are you prepared for that? 
This season, God wants to break in. He created you, and he wants to make you sing. See, I'm convinced that the kingdom of God will break in whether we are watching or not. I'm convinced that God is doing his work in all kinds of places. And and part of what Jesus is saying here is, is I want you to be a part of it. Are we watching? Are we available? Are we listening? Are we living into the places in which God is working? Advent and Christmas are times for reaffirming our relationships and our responsibilities more than anything else. It's a time to focus on our Redeemer. For the one who constructed you is the one who can bring healing into your brokenness. Be ready. Come to God this day. Watch what he can do through you. The question to leave you with is this, and it's only the question that you can answer. What would being prepared look like for you this week? What what would have to change this week in in your calendar or your to-do lists or your priorities or your rhythms? What, what What would it look like to be watching for the kingdom to break in? What adjustments would you need to make to live by the instructions of Jesus that says, go, watch. Watch for the kingdom. Because I think the kingdom of God wants to break in. And I think God wants to use you to do it. So this week, will you be ready? And would you? We pray together. Father, thanks for this day that you have made. Thank you for a time that we get to come together and to recognize our need for you and our need to be a people who are reoriented in this season. No matter where we are in the journey, a people who need to take a step forward in our journey with you. Where we we look at some of our priorities, some of our relationships that we want to tend with each other and, and with you. And we want to be a people who live out what it means to be your hands and feet, the responsibilities of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. All of which is based on this amazing gift of a Redeemer. So Lord, as we begin this journey together, my hope for each of us is that this is a season that we draw closer to you than we have ever been. That our families draw closer to you than we've ever been. That no matter where we are or who we are, we re-examine where we are in you. And we take a step forward. And we take a step of faith. And you would use us to let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we go from this place hopeful that as we keep our eyes on you, we might see the joy of your kingdom break out around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you as you go this week.